Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, yeah. Chaffles. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm sure that you meant chaffles. No, I meant chaffles. 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 Anyway... I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, Carl and I discovered that we're actually cousins. Right. So, so, so <laughs> that was exciting and weird all at the same time. Uh-huh. I am a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression, and both of us feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we are not doctors, so we're not going to be giving out any medical advice. Right. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. And on this podcast, we share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. My favorite thing is sharing recipes that are going to help you on your keto journey. Yeah. So let's start podcast number 186. Talking Autophagy with Dr. Nadir Ali. So just before we get started talking to Dr. Ali, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you in a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. The way we did it was to limit our carbs to 20 grams or less every day have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat? Fat, fat, fat. If you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com or just start listening from episode one. So, Carrie, what's new with you? What have you been doing this week, last week? Well, it's been a really busy week. Um, I had yet another out-of-state visitor came to hang out in the forest and Mm. we've been enjoying picnic in the park and visits to the beaches of Rhode Island. There's been a lot of alfresco dining on my deck, a lovely visit with our favorite Matthew de Trumbull over at Craftsman Cliffs Roasters in Norwich and a lot of fabulous conversations about life, the universe and everything. Cool. So there was that. And then there's been podcasting and invitations to go on new podcasts. And in the middle of all that, the lovely Kim Howerton and I launched the final Happy Healthy Keto program for 2019. So, yeah, it's been a really busy week. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. What's been going on at your end, Mr. Franklin? Well, um, still working on some bazoodle stuff for my cookbook, uh, Spaghetti and Meatballs, going to be a hit with the kids. Uh, of course, uh, oh, I'm working on a bazoodle dessert. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, any, any, any teasers, any hints? It's Italian. It's going to taste like anise. Oh, oh, my favorite. It's going to be creamy and, uh, you know, rich and 
It's going to be delicious. And I'm not sure why you might think that only the kids are going to like the spaghetti and meatballs. Well, you can't go wrong with that. I want an invite to that taste test. You definitely will get that. Oh, here's another thing. Uh, I printed out a bunch of cookbooks, version one cookbooks, you know, the first eight recipes that I sold at Keto Fest. And I didn't sell all of them, so I signed them and I'm offering them for sale at signed.bazoodles.com. Free shipping, only within the United States. And uh, I've already sold a handful of them. But the most important bit about all of that is signed by Carl Franklin, because I don't think there's anything else on earth that's signed by Carl Franklin. The dude. I've never sold anything signed before. But um, the other thing I really got to say is that just by purchasing this book, you will get the free updates to the electronic version also. Yeah. So all all the you'll you'll get all the things as yeah. well as this incredibly rare signature from Carl. I want one. Yeah, and the book is rare too. I only have so many when they're done, they're done. So go head up there right now and get your signed copy. Well, Carrie, you know what time it is? It's time. It's time. That's right. Time to give away a two keto dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the fan club, which you can join for free at fanclub.2keto.com. So who is this week's winner, Carl? This week's winner is Susan Anthony. Woohoo! Go, Susan! And not Susan B. Anthony. She's on a coin. That's not her. <laughs> and we don't know Susan's... It's our Susan Anthony. Our Susan Anthony, yes. It's our free coffee cup-toting Susan Anthony. You got it. And Susan wins a coffee mug just for being a member of the fan club. And if any of you would like your own coffee mug, but you don't want to wait to win it, you can get one online at gear.2keto.com. All right, that brings us to the point in our show where we read a piece of mail. Oh, I nearly did something to surprise you all then, but just Almost. held it in right at I, the last I, minute. I, I, I could feel it. I could feel it through <laughs> the internets. Um, all right. So who has been writing to us this week, Carl? Well, it, it, this isn't somebody who wrote to us. This is from our ketogenic forums, but uh, it's all about our topic today, which is fasting and autophagy. Perfect. I'm going to read the question and... We're not going to answer it, and it'll be obvious as to why. The question is, does cream in my coffee confound a fast? I can't tell you how many times I hear, you know, that's not fasting, or, you know, that's not doing it right, or, you know, people just think that they can fast, but, you know, cream in my coffee, this and that. So the short answer is yes, but what exactly happens, we're going to wait to let our guest explain in detail. All right. So it's quick, it's short, not really the answer that you wanted, but stay tuned because on the line with us right now is none other than Dr. Nadir Ali, who will answer this question. Welcome back to the show, Nadir. Hey, Carl. This is an absolute honor to be back again now. I am sorry, I was fiddling with my Zoom setting, so you've got a ringtone in the midst, so that might be a little bit of fun to the listeners. Ah, uh, no, that's, you sound fine, and glad to have you back. You know, I really loved your talk at Keto Fest this past year, 
And it was not um, something I would expect to hear from a cardiologist. It was all about autophagy. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I got embroiled in the argument between two groups. And I, uh, let's not say who the groups are. Uh, but one group said that long-term fasting is good. And another group said that long-term fasting may not be so good. Mm. You know, and I'm always in, intrigued to get the best information for my patients. Right. And the more I looked into fasting, the more autophagy came up. And it's such an amazing biologic mechanism of uh, recycling, remodeling, regeneration that uh, I just got totally fascinated by it. And I must have spent about a month gathering about 200 articles on autophagy and looking at different information, talking to my patients, uh, doing a little bit of personal experience and testing. And then I firmly came to the conclusion that autophagy, as it is elicited by long-term fasting, and when I say long-term fasting, fasting more than 24 hours, preferably like three days, is probably one of the best mechanisms for us to improve our health. Yeah. So uh, just a, a little bit of a review. I can do this really quickly for our listeners who don't know what autophagy is. This is a process by which your body recycles unused, unneeded, unwanted, or just worn out uh, parts of the body um, for protein and for other reasons, organelles in within cells, uh, and I've, I've seen the, the article, and I know maybe you can elaborate on this, that seems amazing, but just a, a, a three-day fast, having nothing but you know water and salt for three days, can completely regenerate your immune system. All your white blood cells get rebuilt from scratch. Is that true? I would agree that there is sufficient data to back up some of the things, and I especially love what you said is uh, that autophagy, if you just kind of define it as the term says, it's self-eating. But that is so misleading. The way you described it is more encompassing in the sense that it is renewal, it is recycling all the junk, removing the dead protein, the dead organelles, reusing it either for energy or clearing it out. and when you do that process, you activate a number of biochemical mechanisms. And among those mechanisms are ability to clear out bacteria that are hard to clear out, uh, viruses, and activating your immune system, reducing inflammation. All of these are significant factors in autophagy. Mm. The number one question I hear from people about fasting is, and and it's there's there are crazy questions, right? Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? Can I have that? And you know the answer is strictly no. That's the whole point. You don't have anything. You have water and you have salt. But you know people want to know if what you know what turns off autophagy. And some people say uh, any calories of any kind. Other people say uh, any carbohydrates so fat calories won't turn off autophagy but some people say it does so i know a little bit about the mTOR pathway only that 
This is, I, I think of the mTOR as sort of watching what goes in your mouth. And anytime that there's any protein whatsoever, it goes boink and kicks in the gear. And then that, that sort of turns off autophagy. But tell me, try to answer some of those practical questions for people who just want to know, you know, uh, I was fasting and I accidentally had uh, whatever, you know, accidentally got in my mouth. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, I, I managed to have a little swig of olive oil or a pat of butter or something. Have I shut off autophagy? And for that matter, is it a switch or is it a sort of a slope? So I think at my presentation, I had one of the slides out there that the activation of autophagy depends on a particular, a specific individual as to where you are, how insulin resistant you are, uh, what is your metabolic status. So let's take somebody who is highly insulin resistant. They have, you know, tremendously high insulin levels. They are... Uh, um, metabolically unhealthy, they have high triglycerides, their fat cells are completely full. Um, so in other words, fat is filling out into the bloodstream. And if you are that specific individual, then any amount of calories, whether it's fat calories, protein calories, carbohydrate calories, all of these would stop the autophagy because the body will then start having to dispose of the calories that you have eaten and it would not be able to clear the junk. On the other hand, let's say you are like one of the healthy specimens, like let's say a, a, a normal body weight with an insulin level of less than five, a HOMA index of less than one, and you're doing autophagy, you probably need a lot shorter time to activate autophagy. And also probably uh, if by accident you ate a little bit, I'm not sure it's going to completely shut it off. Hmm. So you get better at it the more you do it? Oh, absolutely. I think that autophagy starts almost instantly uh, in a newborn wow. because they are in caloric deficit. They are actually building things. So um, I, I would say the more metabolically healthy you are, the faster you activate autophagy. Mm. And one of the ways to expedite it is to exercise. Yeah. Because when you exercise, you create a caloric deficit. And creating that caloric deficit is an important way to activate it. And burning off the glycogen sort of helps you get there faster, right? So I think, yeah, uh, the chemical reaction is that when you exercise, you consume all your ATP and you make AMP. And AMP goes and activates cyclic AMP. And that initiates a series of chemical reactions that activates the autophagic machinery. So... Um, I think that's one of the key reasons, and I really truly believe that's one of the key reasons why people who exercise are actually keeping their brain function quite healthy. Uh, because the brain, the way the brain ages is that it ages by protein aggregates. Uh, the brain has protein that starts clumping together. And if you let this clumping continue, 
then the body goes to the next defense mechanism and it creates amyloid plaques these amyloid plaques are protein aggregates that really cannot be taken away by the body cannot be removed anymore so you want to attack it before you get protein aggregates so i think that exercise is a mechanism for creating caloric deficit and activating a specific kind of autophagy it's called chaperone mediated autophagy which is the primary mechanism by which the brain removes its junk and i think that for chaperone mediated autophagy the two best mechanisms of activating it is exercise and long term fasting so if you want your brain to remain healthy i think you should do both of these activities so nadia i have a really kind of very basic question and and when i before i became keto and and actually for a little while after i was always troubled i was always really really confused because when when you start looking at diet everybody will tell you don't starve yourself make sure you eat enough because if you don't you're going to go into starvation mode and then your metabolism's going to tank and then you won't lose any weight and then the other half is don't eat anything at all fast and so i was i was really really confused about how eating you know starving yourself was bad but fasting was good and i'm sure i'm not the only one and people who are new to keto new to low carb new to all of this which is a lot of people can you can you help those people understand what the difference is between starvation and fasting well i think that's a extremely good question um the problems as you enumerate is that when you start fasting your basal metabolism is going down and since your basal metabolism is going down when you restart eating you will have caloric excess and you will gain weight and you would have lost the metabolism that you had to begin with and i think that studies are proving that that is not the case and the more we examine our human biology the more we find out that we evolved in a period of nutrient uh, instability we had periods of uh, involuntary and voluntary fasting that was built into our biology because of the availability of food and so if you look at all the mechanisms that we have uh, activated uh, like for example autophagy or like for example um and you know i have a tendency to go into a little bit of science but let me do that because uh some of these uh is being used by pharmaceutical companies to promote drugs so one of them is called pcsk9 uh this is a protein that the liver elaborates and it evolved in a setting in which by reducing when when, when you elaborate pcsk9 it reduces the ldl receptor and so it is not taking up the lipoproteins into the liver and one of the primary reasons it's doing that is because it wants to have nutrient energy available for the body to use uh, 
So I think that uh, people need to understand that when they are fasting, they are doing so many good things for the body. They are clearing out, like uh, um, Carl said, they are clearing out dead protein, they are clearing out rancid fat, they are clearing out uh, protein manufacturing machinery that has gone awry. The mitochondria that are the energy powerhouses of the cells, these mitochondria get uh, damaged with free radicals. Those need to be cleared out and renewed. So all these good things are happening. In addition, your body is now getting ready to prepare new protein to bear because it's cleared out the junk. And the way it does that is that there is a surge of growth hormone when you fast. And growth hormone is extremely anabolic. And when you start eating, you activate the mTOR pathway. So you're laying down new protein. The growth hormone helps. So people who are putting down fasting are ignoring all of these aspects of our biology in which it says, hey, to fast is good. So, but what, what new people particularly need to understand is it's all or nothing. You either fast and eat absolutely nothing or you eat enough that you're not in starvation mode. Is that right? When you break your fast, you do need to eat the right things to activate your mTOR pathways, have the right kind of protein and nutrients to build muscle. But when you're fasting, you are preparing for that feast. So yes, I would say that in the majority of metabolically unhealthy people who are overweight and obese, who have a bad cholesterol quality in the sense that they have high triglycerides, which is fat floating in the bloodstream, that a period of water fast with salt is the way to go without eating any calories. And then, and then when they do eat, they eat enough. I would say when they eat, they should eat to satiety. Right. And, and what about um, the, the refeeding syndrome that has happened in some of, uh, in, in the past when people have eaten too much too fast after coming off a fast? That's such a good question, Carl, because whenever we talk about autophagy, we need to make sure that people understand that if you are a diabetic, you need your diabetic medication adjusted. Otherwise, you would get hypoglycemic. If you were taking any hypertensives, these medicines need to be adjusted. So by no means that this is individual medical advice. It has to be done under the supervision of a physician or a qualified practitioner. In addition, um, the refeeding syndrome can be quite devastating because when you start eating in, uh, what happens is that insulin is released and insulin drives the phosphorus into the cells, the magnesium into the cells, the potassium into the cells. And uh, it can create uh, low levels of phosphorus, magnesium and potassium in the bloodstream. And that can lead to uh, irregular heartbeats. The uh, people may notice that as palpitations. So refeeding, when you start refeeding, it has to happen slowly. And perhaps um, 
in the first few uh, times when you're doing a long-term fast, it should be done under supervision. Uh, like, for example, I would like to start uh, a clinic in which I take people through a three to five day fast. And what I propose to do in them is that on their uh, third day, uh, second or third day, depending on who they are, to measure the electrolytes in their bloodstream. So measure uh, potassium levels, magnesium levels, phosphorus levels. And if they are low, then be extra careful in the refeeding uh, time zone. Um, so uh, the other aspect that I would like to get accomplished in people who do a long-term fast is to be able to monitor their blood sugar and ketone levels because that's going to give them an added incentive saying that, hey, I have been fasting, my sugar levels have not dropped, and now I have a millimolar equivalent quantity of ketones, which is giving me all the fuel that I need. So, uh, in other words, after you come off of a fast, um, the, the thing to do is to have a very small meal uh, and then wait an hour or so if you're going and then decide whether you're going to eat more, you know, if you're still hungry, right? That's what I would say. Yes, that's what I would recommend. I must tell you that my clinical experience with long-term fast is limited. Now, in fact, I want to team up with uh, uh, Megan and Jason and uh, actually have a brick and mortar uh, clinic in Houston to do uh, long-term fasting on uh, individuals who are interested. Can I get back to this thing about exercise? Um, yeah. So I, th I think I know the, the two parties of which you speak um, uh, that are sort of, that are disagreeing about the benefits of, you know, more than three-day fasting. And one is, uh, uh, you know, Jason Fung and IDM. And the other is uh, Stephen Finney who unabashedly says, you know, the, the science isn't there to tell me that it's safe to go past three days. And uh, he's, he's got data, you know, that he uses to, um, to make that argument. And then you see people like Brenda Zorn and, uh, you know, who have shown that, and this gets back to your exercise thing, who have shown that they do fast seven, eight days, and with uh, and bookend it with um, DEXA scans, so they can see their lean body mass, and their lean body mass goes up. And during that time, they've been exercising, they've been lifting weights. And I wonder, you know, if uh, Stephen Finney's data takes that into account. There's so many variables in people and ac their activity level, right? So how can you say, you know, three-day fasting is dangerous, period, for everybody across the board? And, uh, and is also muscle wasting, which is, you know, Finney's claim. And so then you see these people, like I said, like Brenda, who do serious exercise and gain lean body mass while they're fasted. Um, there's obviously a discrepancy of experience and data there. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more because the data that Dr. Finney points out is data gathered in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it is data based on nitrogen elimination in urine. And for sure, you're going to lose nitrogen in urine. But I showed a specific slide at your conference, Carl, uh, which is a slide that I uh, stole from Dr. Oshumi. Um, this is the Japanese professor who got the Nobel Prize in 2016 for describing the mechanisms of autophagy. Right. And uh, this slide is very illustrative because if you look at a human body, we are actually uh, breaking down about 250 grams of protein. So that's roughly uh, one-fourth of a kilogram or about half a pound on a daily basis. So just think about it. Uh, 250 grams of protein are being destroyed, are, are, are actually being removed. And that's just eating a regular diet? And by regular, I, I don't know what I mean by that, but uh, what is what are all the other variables that go into that? So the other variables that go into that is that um, you are eating a certain amount of protein. A, a, a usual person eats about a gram of protein per kilogram of body weight. So let's say you take this as a normal 60 kilogram person. So they're eating about 60 to 70 grams of protein. But the body on a daily basis is destroying uh, or degrading 250 grams of protein. So that's roughly uh, three and a half times as much. And so the question that you have to come up with is that where is the body getting the other 230 grams of protein that the person is not consuming. And the way the body gets that is by recycling. So you can understand how good the body is at recycling. And even the studies that Dr. Finney points out show that as you progress in your fast, as you go from week one to week two to week three, your protein losses become smaller. And as you start feeding the person, the protein synthesis is jacked up. It increases more than at basal levels. And this is with or without exercise, Nadir? This is without exercise. This, these studies had no exercise regimen in them done in the you know 50s and 60s. But... There is another very important aspect, Carl, that people don't understand. And that is that when you think about protein losses, you're thinking that you're losing these strong biceps or the, your quadriceps or your pectorals yeah. or your abs and things like that. Stuff you need. <laughs> but that's not what the body is going to do. The body is going to get rid of junk. Uh, I don't know if you remember that Megan used a metaphor uh, and he said, she said that Jason came up with this metaphor and thought that it was not good. And which is that, let's say you are in a, a deep snow storm and you have, you are in your cabin and you have firewood, but you also have furniture that is made of very nice wood that you can use to make fire. You're going to go for the junk wood. 
a junk firewood or you know firewood you're not going to burn your furniture right and our body is similarly very smart when it is fasting and doing autophagy it's not going to go for the best protein we have it's going to go for the junk so if i have negative nitrogen losses while i am fasting i'm not too unhappy because i think that the body is losing junk and when you refeed it's going to renew that with a remodeled nice new protein that it can use on its own and the body is very good at that because like dr ashumi showed in 3 years a normal person recycles the entire protein in their body all your muscles get recycled within three years. They get recycled within three years. And wow. uh, these are concepts that probably should be explained in some detail for long-term studies, People will uh, for long-term fasting, because people would get uh, fascinated by it and they would say that, hey, this I'm doing really something good. I'm going to go back to a point that was made earlier, and I just want to to clarify in my mind um, what Carrie brought up about the difference between calorie restriction and fasting. And uh, I think you did answer it by you know looking at the by talking about mTOR and when it notices any any protein uh, in your system that you've ingested, it sort of shuts off and uh, autophagy. Is affected more or less dramatically depending on how insulin resistant you are. But the difference between I'm going, you know, you hear people say I'm going to do an egg fast, which is in and of itself a contradiction, right? What it, what they really mean is it's an egg diet. They're going to eat only eggs. But so what's the difference to my metabolism? If I spend three days having water and salt versus eating 500 calories of butter a day, let's say, or, or pure fat. I think that in the second, second method in which you are eating some calories, whether it's butter or carbs or protein, uh, more so with carbs and protein, you're going to inactivate autophagy the body is going to have to dispose of the calories that you're eating first because there is a priority that the body has to do. It just cannot leave all those calories in the bloodstream. So it has to either store them or use them. And those mechanisms are going to inactivate, inactivate autophagy. Like a switch. Like a switch, yes. Like, for example, uh, if, like, let's say your goal is to lose weight and you're going to make ketones from your own fat cells. And that's a good thing because that means that you're emptying your fat cells, you are making your fat cells healthier. On the other hand, if you're going to eat fat, the body will still convert that fat to ketones. Right. But it's not going to empty your fat cells. Well, it's, it's not going to do that until the calories have been completely used up from what you ate. And right. then, then you'll go back to burning body fat, right? Or is it always a mix? No, I think that you are right. It's going to first use the fat that you have eaten, uh, either store it, uh, use it. And until it has done that, it's not going to start burning your own fat. 
All right, good. So there you go. So if you're if you want to truly do a fast, now you can calorie restrict and still lose weight. Uh, if in my example of eating 500 calories of butter every day, you're still going to lose weight because you have a caloric deficit. But is your metabolic rate going to go down because you ate something but it wasn't enough? And I think um, Jason has done such a good job in pointing that out in the biggest loser studies that when you are eating small amounts of calories during the day and eating them sort of frequently but not enough uh, to meet your caloric needs, you're not going to be helping yourself because you're going to reduce your basal metabolism. And then when you get back to your normal diet, your basal metabolism is reduced and then you put on all of that weight back. But your basal metabolic rate goes down slower, but also goes down as you fast, right? Yes, it does. But then when you break your fast and you're being physically active at the same process, um, you are going to not gain the weight back because you're going to regain your metabolism. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. That's These are all questions that are on the minds of... Uh, listeners and uh i i gotta i gotta thank you very much for for talking about autophagy today but we got a couple other things we want to talk about um some of them have to do with uh houston and uh, low carb houston it's coming up here this fall and we also should talk about plans for next year so what can you tell us well the first thing is that i'm so excited that uh, carrie is going to come and she's going to talk about the role of ketogenic diets and bipolar disorders because, you know, I'm sure that each and every one of us know an individual who suffers from a bipolar or a similar illness. And um, there's no real good drug treatment for it. And if there is something that nutrition and lifestyle can offer and uh, experiences from individuals such as Carrie. I mean, I think that that's going to be one of the highlights of the conference. And I don't know if she wants to chime in and give a little teaser for people who are attending the conference. Well, I'm just, I'm always excited and, and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to share my journey with bipolar because, you know, even if there's one person in the audience who is either suffering or is close to someone who is suffering and we can kind of turn that around it, you know, the whole thing will have been worth it. So I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to speak and, and share how I resolved my bipolar two disorder symptoms. And, and I'm always, always excited just to meet folks who are are passionate and excited about making massive changes in their health and really, really looking to find a better way and and do what they need to do to improve their health. I love meeting folks who are doing everything they can to help themselves. You know, I had to become my own detective to get to the bottom of my bipolar and I just love meeting and talking to and supporting people who are who have kind of pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and are, are trying to do the same thing. So, Gary, if I may ask you, and you know, I hope you don't feel like I'm imposing for uh, treatment 
or management of bipolar with a ketogenic diet, you have to be as strict as, let's say, somebody who is suffering from epilepsy or somebody who is uh, doing it for uh, modulation of cancer therapy. In other words, do you have to have ketone levels that are in the one millimole or higher range, or this is like uh, uh, low carb but not necessarily a ketogenic diet? So I, in you know, I'm not the doctor here, but in in my opinion, it's kind of pretty much like everything else, and the answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that is very unique. I when I when I first went keto, it was Dr. Ted Naiman over in Seattle that put me onto keto, and we our our goal was to get me into as deep ketosis as we could. So that's how we started. And I was, it was three months on keto before I was able to stop my medications. Um, Since then, I don't have to be crazy deep into ketosis anymore, but I'm not going to say that that would be true for everybody. So that's interesting. So let's say uh, you want to have an induction phase in most people is what you're telling me. And in the induction phase, what does deep ketosis look like? Like how how high sh- would you recommend the ketone levels should be? And in order to achieve that, what do you do? You, you, you know, I guess, is it like almost a zero carb diet and with Uh, minimal amounts of protein. Uh, Could you give us a little flavor of that so that the audience, when they come in, will be kind of tuned into it? Right. So for me, that looked like, but there were other things going on as well. So I had a whole bunch of uh, food sensitivity tests done, and I was sensitive to like 98% of foods. And when we layered keto on top of that, I was left with nine things. So I was basically eating uh, fatty meat. I could eat lamb. I could eat bison, which of course isn't fatty. I could eat pork. I could eat duck. And then there was some nuts that I could eat. I could drink heavy cream. I was okay with butter. But my diet was incredibly restricted because of food sensitivities, which of course complicated everything. And and I this was four years ago where you know, the keto mojos and the keto measuring devices were not a thing like they are now. Mm -hmm. So I was relying on pee sticks. So I was peeing on on ketone Mm -hmm. strips. Um, And my goal was to just to get that, that strip as deep purple as I could get it. So I don't have data on the actual exact number of where my ketones were. I just know that the my pea sticks were like almost black. They were such deep purple. Um, and of course now the, the, the ketone measuring devices are much more available. They're much cheaper. Like, you know, everybody can get them. But our goal was for me to be as, as high in ketones as we could get me. And I had a very, very restricted diet and which mostly consist, it was pretty much carnivore and it was pretty much zero carb. 
I uh, regret to say that I will not be able to attend Low Carb Houston this year because I have a, a previous engagement that I agreed to before I knew the date. And I will be in Warsaw, Poland, speaking at a conference. So I'm going to miss you guys. But let's talk a little bit about your ideas for next year, Nadir. Well, I think that uh, next year we want to get uh, uh, the two keto dudes more involved in Houston because I really like the way you ran the conference, which is uh, the science component is good. And I think uh, the University of Houston, Clear Lake, has a good handle on it. But what we don't have a good handle on is how do we get the whole community involved in a keto kitchen? How do we kind of get them into making their own food, into looking at recipes, show them what an experienced cook does? So in other words, have like a keto fest kind of atmosphere. Um, The other thing that keto fest does particularly good is to have live podcasts. People get really involved in that. You know, they they feel like there is time and space and availability of experts right around them to ask questions in depth rather than just hear a lecture in which you have limited opportunity to explore a certain aspect that you don't understand. So um, we are considering that come 2020 that it's going to be uh, uh, Keto Fest Houston. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm super excited for that. I'm really looking forward to working on that with you. Um, yeah. You have a, a lot of great outdoor space on the campus there. Uh, you have uh, demonstration kitchen access. So you have all of the the things, right? I mean, obviously you couldn't get the restaurants in town in- involved because that's too far away, but maybe there's some within walking distance we could persuade to put some ketogenic fare on the menu. Well, the restaurants can actually uh, come to the site also. That's you know, true. We can, we can have space for them to come and and be a part of it. Uh, but really, I think that it takes... Uh, a vision and uh, an experience like you have, um, which is different than the science background that we come from, because we can talk about the science, but you can make it applicable to people on a day-to-day basis. And uh, so we need both. That's really great to hear, Nadir. I'm really looking forward to it. Hey, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us and clarifying a few things about autophagy. And thanks for doing the work, the hard work, and bringing it back for us. I'm honored, uh, Carl. And uh, let's uh, look forward to having a great conference this year. uh, And then uh, next year, it's going to be even better. Yes, sir. And I, I will see you next month, sir. Yes, Gary, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to create a... Like we have a zone room, uh, this uh, conference for people who are doing a long-term fast to visit with uh, with Brenda Zone, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're going to have a Carrie Brown room also for you. Oh, I get my own room. Very good. Yes. <laughs> Make sure there's a star on it and have plenty of chaffles <laughs> available. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. See you, Nadir. Thanks. 
Thank you, Chief. I I really appreciate your time and and effort, and I'll see you next year. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, again, I'm sorry I can't make it to Low Carb Houston this year, Carrie, but I'm really glad that you're going to be there representing the dudes. I will fly the dude's flag with with honor and and excitement. Yeah. Awesome. And now uh, I guess I guess it's time for a recipe. That, that, that was a very, very exciting introduction. And if you're wondering <laughs> why that was just so full of excitement, it's because this <laughs> week's recipe comes from the dude himself. Uh-huh. Mostly because I'm still resisting the whole chaffle craze. Chaffle. But you'll want yourself some. So here he is, Mr. Carl Franklin, with his rye chaffles. 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 Go. <laughs> All right. This is actually the recipe is called the best damn cheeseburger I've ever tasted. And I didn't get an invitation to eat that because? Uh, I was still experimenting. It just turned out to be a very successful mm-hmm. experiment. Mm-hmm. Yep. These were some of the first chaffles that I made. And uh, my neighbor came over with her son we are sort of having a sunset party, if you will, but they were both uh, kind of hungry. And I was making myself a burger on this rye chaffle. And uh, it turned out that, you know, the kid says, wow, this is really good. And then his mother said, this is the best damn cheeseburger I've ever tasted. So it's sort of a, a rye take, all right? My basic chaffle recipe is one egg, one large egg, half a cup of mozzarella cheese that you shred and shred it yourself. Don't get the stuff with the potato starch in it. And then a quarter teaspoon of each baking powder, glucomannan powder, also known as konjac powder, allulose or some other sweetener and caraway seeds. Now the caraway seeds is where the rye comes in. I love the taste of caraway. I love that flavor. Me too. Me too. Now, if you don't want um, to make rye chaffles, you can make garlic chaffles with garlic powder or real garlic. Throw some onions in there or onion powder. I have to use onion powder because Kelly, my wife, is allergic to onions. So I got used to cooking with onion powder. But every once in a while, I make myself some onions. But onions go really nicely in chaffles. They give that really nice uh, onion roll flavor. And uh, so all you do is you mix all that stuff together and you plug in your Dash mini waffle maker. I have two of them now, so I can make two at a time. I still don't have one. (laughs) This recipe here, the one egg and a half cup of Mott's, is enough to make two. So the key here is time. So if you want soft bread-like chaffles, you do it for five minutes. If you want them a little crispier, seven minutes. That's it. All right. Now, of course, the burger, you know, you know how to make a burger. The secret that I have in my burger uh, is the Bobby Flay cheese melting method where he actually steams it. And he uh, uh, puts the cheese on when it's time for the cheese to melt, gets a, a metal bowl, you know, like a baking bowl, mixing bowl, 
put a little water in the bottom, dump the water in the pan, and then cover it. And you really steam the cheese, and it gets really melty and, and keeps the burger nice and moist. But you only need to do that for like 30 seconds. It's magic. Magic, I tell you. Talking about burgers and magic, I took my visitor to the Chester Sunday Farmer's Market and we found there was one of the local farms was there and they had burgers and they were short rib brisket burgers. What? And they were $10 a pound and each burger was half a pound. What? And you you better believe that some of those came home with us. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in Connecticut... I'll be fighting you if you go to the Chester Sunday Farmer's Market. I'll be there buying up all the short rib brisket burgers. Speaking of festivals and fairs, are you going to go to the Big E? Do you know about the Big E? I do not know about the Big E. So every state has their state fair, but New England has one state fair for all the New England states because they're so small. Oh. And so it's called the New England Expo, the Big E. Mm-hmm. And it goes on for two weeks, and it just started this past weekend. Wow, I had no idea. And you know, I've been in America for over 18 years, and I've never been to any state fair anywhere. So maybe this is the year. Yeah, let's get a little group together, and we'll 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 go. Well, guys, that's another show. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute what we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2KetoDudes. Make sure you use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the forums without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. Also check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. If you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, 2 Keto Dudes Gold. And we also have a free Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. And you can see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. Also, we have an Amazon affiliate store. You can buy your favorite keto ingredients and devices by going to amazon.2keto.com, and you can help us out at the same time. We would love you to be involved in helping us build the most awesome keto community, and you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, because that's how a lot of new people get to know about our keto community. Plus... Plan on attending Keto Fest in the fall of 2020 yeah. because the community that is built there is absolutely incredible. Incredible. You can get all the latest information on Keto Fests at ketofest.com. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low carb community with podcasts and other publications. Now, listen up, kiddos. Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, cousin Carl. Yeah. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.